Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Hope you're well this morning, and um, we are going to regather next week. Um, we're not sure. It'll be limited numbers, uh, but just uh, the few of you are, that are here, there's just something. Uh, we are built to be together. That's why the scripture says, do not forsake gathering together, and uh, we need it. We look forward to it. Um, we'll be at 8.30, 10.30 next week. Um, we got our kind of variants that we're asking for kind of rejected, so we'll have to kind of limit some numbers, but... We'll get all the details out to you, but we'll be here at 8.30, 10.30. We want you to be here. We want to regather with you um, as God's people. But we're just going to have to kind of go through a few, few uh, steps along the way to get back to uh, being able to kind of all be together as we normally are. So we'll adjust things, whether it's adding services or whatever. Um, We'll kind of take a week by week, but we'll be together this Sunday right now. We are wrapping up our People series. Thank you for those of you who've sent in um, all the questions that we've dealt with. Mo a lot of those questions came in dealing with the end times, obviously all the issues of the future, the hope, and so we're going to start our new series next week called Hope. Uh, about the end times, and we're going to go through about the 10 to 15 uh, of the main questions that people have about the future, and what the Bible, the rock-solid hope that we have uh, in the gospel and Jesus and what he has for us, and really encourage each other with that in this season that we're, uh, as we start to regather and, uh, and come together. So we'll start that next week, and as I said, watch out for your email. We're going to send out all the details to you um, on that as far as we got a ton of details, what we're going to do with kids and all that stuff. Um, we'll get that out to you this week, but we're looking forward to uh, come together um, next week. This morning, as I said, we're finishing up the People series, and we are looking at one of the couple of questions that came in. We're dealing with, in one way or another, um, the bold faith of women in the Bible and what we can learn from uh, these wonderful stories, these wonderful women of faith in the Bible. Now, let me just say, before, we, before I introduce my special guests here and everything, this is not just a message for women. Um, this is a message for all of us, and the, the wonderful pictures we have in the scripture that we're going to look at of Esther, Mary of Bethany, um, Abigail, many, many others, that, uh, boy, these, these are there for all of us to see how God's working boldly in the faith uh, and to show what faith, what bold faith really looks like. So, uh, boy, I'm excited for this. We had the first service, really great stuff. Um, this is Ellen Forsman. Ellen and David and their wonderful family have been part of our body for many years now, and uh, Ellen has a wonderful teaching gift, and uh, excited to hear her share this morning um, about some of these women of faith. And, of course, I think everybody knows Mady, Reside Mady, who keeps this place running here. Uh, Mady's everybody's best friend, right? You know, so thank you guys for joining me here this morning. Um, we're just going to have a great time, God's Word. So I uh, just want to, um, if you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do this morning. The first passage we'll be looking at is uh, in 1 Samuel um, this morning as we look at Abigail. But um, before we do that, though, let's just kind of dive in here on this issue of bold faith. What do we mean, right, by that? Um, and uh, because I think, as we talked about the first service, right, I think there's just this um, kind of confusion in today, even about what, what is faith? How do we define faith? People talk about faith differently. So um, maybe just some, lead us in here, Ellen, a little bit, and maybe as well, just uh, what, do, what do we mean by bold faith this morning? Uh, thanks, Steve, for having us. Uh, first of all, you know, talking about bold faith kind of set me on a journey when Steve and I originally talked about this. And it was really interesting to me to kind of do a little research. Uh, the Barna Group put out a State of the Church 2020 study that they did. And it's really helpful because it gives you an idea of the trends of what's happening in the church in America. And one of the things that they came out and they said that 61% of the church is women. 61% of the church in America are women. And, you know, that kind of opens your eyes a bit, and you're like, wow, you know, God's really doing something there. But then the other flip side of that that they found that they were concerned about is that that is the largest group leaving the church. Women across all age groups is the largest exodus of the church um, that they have seen in the last 10 years. And so they kind of also dug into a little bit about why are people leaving the church? 
And the biggest, one of the biggest reasons is people are failing to see a connection between the word of God and what the Bible has for them to their everyday life. They don't see it as relevant. How's this applying to me? How do I go home and you know, actually deal with this situation over here or in my workplace? And so when Steve and I started talking about bold faith and looking at some of these women, you know, the heartbeat really in this that I hope that you hear today as we go through this is that these truths and these examples and these characters that we start to see and the choices they made, these are all applicable to our lives today to live out faith and risk. And so um, in order to get us started, we feel like it's important to talk about well, what is bold faith? Yeah. We can use that term. Um, people might have different meanings or in di- different interpretations. So I think it's important to just have a working definition to get your, your uh, mind around. Yeah. So I wrote one down for us. Nice. Let's hear it. I came prepared. Uh, really so good. I'll read it a couple times because I think it's worth it. Being a person of bold faith is one who is willing to take risks for the kingdom of God regardless of the danger or recourse because of their trust in the Lord. And I'll say that one more time. Being a person of bold faith is one who is willing to take risks for the kingdom of God regardless of the danger or recourse because of their trust in the Lord. Um, And we did talk about this a little bit first service about, um, you know, I've also heard that bold faith is taking a risk while tethered to Christ. I really love that picture, this idea of being tethered to something. Um, And a tether is usually like a cord or some type of attachment. And on one end is a movable object. That would be us, the ones moving out in risk, walking on the tree branch. Um, And then the other end of the cord is a fixed reference point, and that's Christ. I love that picture of us stepping out, taking risks, but we are tethered to Christ. Uh, somehow that gives me confidence that if I'm going to fall, I'm not going to fall too far. <laughs> He's, you know, I'm anchored to him. Um, so that's kind of, kind of where we're, we're working with that definition of bold faith. It's fantastic. So. I love it. I love that idea. And um, maybe anything to add to that? You can think no, about. let's have Ellen teach. Okay. <laughs> hey, I think before we dive into this, I, I was just thinking about this. Would you just uh, throw this out? What, um, any test, when you think of a, a bold, and specifically woman of faith that has been involved in your life, um, just a testimony or yours, maybe just you think about, um, you know, a, a woman that you say, wow, they're, they're, that woman's faith, bold faith really has, has ministered to me and maybe discipled me or just was an example, right, for, for you all. And I just threw that on you here, you know. Um, yeah, I actually think of in college, you know, my story's a little different, but in college, um, really what God used to pull me to him was a community of girlfriends mm-hmm. that were yeah. believers in Christ, and awesome. uh, he lined me up with a Christian roommate my freshman year, and mm-hmm. um, boy, uh, half my hall were believers praying for me. <laughs> you know, you find out things later looking back, um, but yeah. I think it was simply because of how they spoke truth into me. Mm-hmm. And they did it in such a way where they didn't have to always say, well, the Bible says, and this came from God, or God says this. They just spoke truth. And the power of just the truth alone mm-hmm. really transformed my life mm-hmm. and led me to start wondering, well, where did they receive that truth? Or where did they get that wisdom? Mm-hmm. And that kind of you know, led me more into that relationship. It's awesome. That's awesome. Anything? Um, well, it's interesting because I'm in Ellen's Bible study, and so I've been really blessed with that. But then Momo Phillips, I would say, has uh, always been my mentor. I'm going to get all choked up. Yeah. But anyway, I love that both of these women, mm. um, they just speak to me like I'm always going to press in and do the right thing. It's not a... It's not a um, uh, kind of commiserating with me or whatever, but but always you know to go for it, and to speak out and push me out of my comfort zone. And Momo has been a mentor of mine for, gosh, ten years. So that's um, I I've been incredibly blessed. Uh, as far as woman, a friend of mine, her mother was a mentor to me as well growing up. Awesome. So I've um, I. I've been blessed since I was a little girl. 
like the Good yeah. News Club, as I told Not you good about. News club. Don't forget the new Good News <laughs> I had Mrs. Anderson and the Good News Club, <laughs> so I've been fortunate. That's so great. I set you up for that. I saw Momo over there. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Hey, I, I've got so many women. I'm just blessed to have so many. I start with my mother. I've shared with you, my mother led me to the Lord, and she would just take me by the ear, I think like Momo, and just drug me around, right? It shoved me out there before God called me on things, and, and uh, you know, story after story. And, and you uh, know, I have to just inter interject one more time, and also the lovely Marion Melville, yes. who has always been like a mother to me and has always, you know, not pushed me, pushed me, but lived mm -hmm. such a godly life that I just aspire to live like that and to see how she's always loved people. So um, it kind of blows me away with the way my life could have turned out and how God has always brought these women in my life. And... Um, you know, just move forward. I got Marion, who's 90, so I know the next six or 30 years, yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, let me, I just feel like maybe the, the next step here with this question before we dive in, what would you say, because I know people are out there watching, because I, I dealt with, last week we talked about just kind of the importance of spiritual fathers and got a lot of feedback, talked to some people about that, of just not having that. And I know those watching, those few that are here, um, what would you all say? What would you say to the woman that's out there that has not had that wonderful mentor, that woman of faith in their life? What, what kind of encouragement would you give them right, uh, that are, haven't had that maybe in their life, didn't have a, a mother figure like that, or even some mm -hmm. faith friends that boldly you know, mm -hmm. spoke into their lives necessarily? What kind of encouragement? Well, I think first and foremost, um, God works in community. And that I think as long as someone is seeking him, I think you have to sometimes be the one to take the initiative. If you want a mentor, if you want a spiritual mom, if you want to have that kind of relationship, a lot of times it's you reaching out and saying, hey, I want this, I desire this, and allowing an opportunity for another woman to be that for you. And I think it goes both ways, um, you know, and I think, yeah, uh those of us that are further along in our walk, we need to be available. We need to have our eyes to see, Lord, who is it that's hungry for discipleship and being mentored? It, it's something that God really has mandated to all of us. Yeah, and it really is a mandate. Yeah. It's not an option. Right. Yeah. We really do all Amen. need to be discipling somebody. <laughs> Amen. Right on. Eddie, anything to add to that? Uh, what I'd add to that is if you don't have that and you aren't, getting into the Word and knowing God, the world is a crazy place. And if you're going to listen to the world rather than um, diving in mm -hmm. with your relationship with God, it's, yeah. it's scary. I mean, I, I do have young girls in my life who are, um, you know, I just hear what they say and it's like, man, we can't live without God. We just can't. Mm -hmm. You know? yeah, and you're and you're pouring into those young girls. It's awesome. I think in summary, I would just say, summarizing these two things. You know, one is first pray, right? Just ask God for it. It's a prayer request that God will not. He He will answer that. But then you have to put yourself as uh, Ellen and maybe we're saying. You have to gather yourself with faith. You have to put yourself in the body of believers. You have to put yourself uh, because for all of us, it's who we surround ourselves with that so much determines what we become. Right. So. Uh, those two simple, simple things. So thanks for that. That's great. So we could go on and on, I'm sure, about uh, all kinds of uh, wonderful, bold women uh, of faith in, in our lives, um, for sure. I, I think of it flashed in my head when I was saying that Michelle, when I first met Michelle, started dating her, one of our first dates was she invited me to go into the inner city uh, projects of Dallas with her. And, and, and I remember... Uh, kind of, that was a wake-up call, some bold faith. I, I, uh, I followed her into these streets. It was, it was interesting. So, and so the journey has gone on, right? It's great. Um, so let's dive in here. Let's talk about Abigail. We got three wonderful, powerful, bold women of faith. Some, some of my favorite stories, the story of Esther, and uh, of course, Abigail's great. But uh, why don't we dive in here? If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel 25, and um, Ellen, uh, lead us away on this Sure. I'm going to give you a little background to Abigail and set the scene in the story um, so we can talk a little bit about uh, the risks she had to take. First of all, uh, 
This is during David's time when he is running from Saul. So he's on the run, and he's about 600 men with him. I don't know how you hide that easily. But anyways, uh, he is in an area of Carmel, and while he is there, there's a family, Nabal and Abigail, and, and he's a very wealthy man, and he has a huge livestock of thousands of sheep, you know, goats, herds, all that. And so while they're there, David and his men, um, of course, end up, protecting a lot of this man's wealth and livestock from raiders and, you know, wildlife attacking, different things like that. And so as the season has gone on, it's now shearing season, and there's usually a festival and festivities around this time. And David sends some men to Nabal saying, requesting that he and his men be able to come and partake in the festival and festivities and be given food and, and wine and, and all of that and be hospitable. And so Nabal says, well, I don't know who this man is. It could be some rogue runaway. Um, so he refused to be hos- show hospitality to David and his men. And when David received word of this, he became very angry. And so he told 400 of his men to grab their swords and we're going to go after and we're going to slaughter Nabal and his whole household. And so a servant catches word of this, runs back to Abigail, who is Nabal's wife. And Abigail hears this and immediately takes action. She gathers up bread, wine, and other uh, delicacies and sends them ahead in order to meet David and intercept him as he's coming towards their household. And then Abigail herself goes to David. And we see that there's this conversation they end up having where she falls to his feet and she pleads with him and says, you know, please consider it, you know, on my head uh, that this didn't happen. And she proceeds to have this conversation. So I'm going to read a little bit of what she shares with David and how David responds um, to how Abigail is bold. And then we'll talk a little bit about um, some nuggets for us to take away from this. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 25, and this, I'll start in verse, um, verse 30. And this is Abigail speaking to David. It says, When the Lord does for you according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, then this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. For when the Lord deals with you, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment. Blessed be you, who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself from my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you, unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until morning light as much as one male. And so it's kind of interesting to see that because Abigail stepped out and took the initiative. And that's one of the first points that we wanted to share this morning is that bold faith requires initiative. It actually requires us to be proactive instead of being sitting back and waiting to be reactive as a situation comes towards us, it's taking that initiative to be proactive. And because Abigail was, she re- redirected the course of that situation. Absolutely. And how many times is it that God maybe prompts us to take an initiative to speak into something or be proactive, and we can actually redirect. God's using us to redirect something in a situation and even a relationship yeah. and be mindful of that. And that, that's a risk. That takes risk. Absolutely. Um, it's uncertain, right? That step is, is that's the risk, is mm-hmm. not knowing. That's the trusting yeah. in God there. It's awesome. And, and we did talk about earlier, um, which it might be helpful, is, you know, risk costs us something. If you want to know, am I taking a risk? The question is, is this going to cost me something? Yeah, right. <laughs> if it's costing you something, you're taking a risk. And, and Abigail, it, not only was this costing her life, um, you know, or her family, or whatever it is, you know, she was willing to take that risk. It was costing her something. Mm. And then the second aspect that we see with Abigail is her bold faith requires discernment and wisdom. And we even actually see David honor her and say, blessed be your discernment. Blessed mm-hmm. be you because of your discernment. Uh, it takes a discerning, wise heart to know how to take initiative and to be proactive into a situation because yeah. we don't want to be reckless. 
Yeah. We want to be very intentional. Absolutely. Um, and mm. not only that, but look at how Abigail does this. You know, she uses wisdom and discernment, and she comes in in such a way that she honors David. She recognizes God's hand on David. She knows, she even says, you know, when he appoints you ruler over Israel, he, she knows, she's fully aware of what God has for David. She recognizes that. She honors that. And I love this picture of what she does, but yet she speaks to him very specifically. And, and it's kind of that third point about bold faith that we gain from Abigail, and that is that bold faith requires often, not always, mm-hmm. a word fitly spoken. Mm-hmm. I just love that raise. Yeah. A word fitly spoken. A lot of times you want to say word spoken, but that word fitly, mm-hmm. that's really important. Yeah. <laughs> Timely, <laughs> really, right? Re- yeah, exactly. It's very mm-hmm. important. And what Abigail does is she comes to David and because she ends up speaking truth to him mm-hmm. in such a way at the right time, and with the right heart, that she is able to keep him from going forward in sin. She's redirecting this. She is actually protecting him from his folly. He's about to go seek vengeance on his own terms and to shed blood out of his own anger. And her concern wasn't so much about her family. Her concern in approaching him in bold faith was to make sure that the Lord's anointed didn't stumble. Mm. You know, there's a richness in that that sometimes I think we miss. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just going to share with you Proverbs 25, 11. That's if you're wondering good. where I got the phrase, a word mm. fitly spoken, it's straight from the Bible. Yeah. In Proverbs 25, yeah. 11, it says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and a setting of silver. Mm. It is highly valuable. It is worthy. It has a weight to it that matters. Um, and because Abigail did this, um, she, she was able to redirect this. And so I just want us to take a moment and remember that when we have truth to speak into a situation, if we really come with it with the right heart and listen to God's timing, that's that fitly, that's that fit part, a word fitly spoken. Um, and God, he wants to use us. He yeah. wants us to use, especially during this time, mm-hmm. us speaking truth into situations. We can redirect. Mm-hmm. We, God wants to use us to redirect. And I think I just want to encourage you to not miss that. Yeah. Don't miss that. You know, I think as you're saying that, that last part, I think of uh, Paul's words, you know, to the church in, uh, in Corinth. You know, but the, we're, we're to be God's ambassadors of, rec- we're to be ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ, right? To have a fitly God-spoken word into a situation, as you said, that can change, expecting, right, to, to see uh, God move through us, right, to change, actually, a situation, to bring reconciliation or, or blessing, whatever, you know, for that moment. So it takes bold faith, right, to do that, step out. Maybe anything to add to those three great points on Abigail, bold faith. Not at the moment. Okay. I, I, uh, I mentioned the first service, just a couple things, you know, just as you were even more so, I think, this, uh, the, for this second service. But, um, you know, we, we, we mentioned, I think, a sur- first service that um, Nabal's main name actually means foolish, means fool, actually. Uh, I don't know whose mom would name their child fool, but, uh, I, you know, wow. Um, but it's interesting because he was successful in the world's eyes. You had a, a man who had a, a wide, uh, powerful, over the area of Carmel, a huge uh, influence, worldly-wise. He was successful and had everything of the world, but his name was, was Fool. And, uh, and that, unfortunately, bared out, right, in his, in his life. So I, I just want to say, at the cost maybe of being misunderstood here, just bring encouragement to some women to realize that in the family unit, unfortunately, we have a lot of women find themselves in a situation where they're carrying the spiritual mantle for their home. The father might have all of the success in the world from the world standpoint, but is foolish or is ignorant when it comes to the things of God and the things of the Spirit. And so I just want to encourage, we see her bold faith can even turn. And how this story goes, right, the rest of the story is pretty profound in the sense of, man, when she comes, right, to share this story with her husband, his, it's like his heart went to stone. That's what this text says, right? It turned to, to stone um, and he died. 
And, uh, and then David marries, takes Abigail to be his wife. And remember, David's a picture of, of Jesus, Savior. He's a picture of, of God. And so I just want to bring encouragement that for bold women of faith, think of all throughout the ages, uh, we find that, that women are stuck in situations that would, would seem like it is oppressive and would, would, is, is shutting down their faith. Bold faith in those situations, just like Abigail's beautiful situation, can rise up and make, uh, save a family unit, right, and do great and mighty things, is that a husband or other men involved cannot shut down that bold faith and limit the impact it can have, right, for right, the generations. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who, as we see, the figure of David of reconciling in the end there's going to be this beautiful all things new right taken care of by the gospel so there's some deep stuff here in, in this uh, wonderful passage and just last thing I, I think of when you're sharing this is uh, wow I, what a you know hurt she's in tune right remember Saul's the king of the land right here in this situation and he's hunting David down right so there was this confusion in the land well who's king who's which one is actually has the power you know and and she was in tune as you're saying the Philly were taking the time as we say to the discernment taking the time to hear from the spirit of God that she knew David had the anointing she knew Samuel somehow she knew that he was to be the one that, um, that God's anointing was on, right, moving forward. Because she could have gone, like we see others, end around and aligned with Saul to come and protect her. Right? It could have blown out David out of hiding, right, to come out. But she was in line, um, understood, so her heart was in tune with the will of God, which is critical. So we don't, when, that, when we do step out, we know, right, that God is with us, right, in that, in that moment. So anyway. There's a, we could talk a lot more on, on Abigail. Let's uh, go ahead. And Steve, I was just going to add something to that that really struck me because I'm a woman <laughs> um, in this situation. But oftentimes, you know, what, was, what really struck me about Abigail is that she was wise and discerning. And even though Nabal was like the head of the household back then and everything else, you know, it's interesting to me that she knew she could still act out spiritually and do something healthy outside point. of him yep. and in that she didn't feel like she was trapped mm -hmm. because she didn't have to go and get his permission it was a bold move of faith though, and that's right? a bold so, move of right? faith and yeah. i think sometimes as a woman i confess mm -hmm. there are times i get in a situation and i think just because you know maybe i'm not the head of it or like the supervisor or the boss or, you know, all these different spheres that we find ourselves. Uh, you know, instead, I feel like because that's there, I'm blocked. Rather than just having that picture of like, no, God makes a way around. God can make a way around if we are willing to take that risk to go yeah. around. Yeah. And so I guess that's just my encouragement Fantastic. for us to kind of consider. Fantastic. Absolutely. You know, and especially, I mean, obviously this is applicable for women around the world, but I just think of the, most of the places in the world where really this scenario is more reality than maybe even in America, right? Where there is heavy oppression and walls and everything just that look, this, uh, you know, um, the, the, our circumstances, again, back to your definition of faith, our circumstances um, do not determine, right? Uh, uh, they can't hold faith back if it's bold and trusting in God and willing to step out and, and make a difference in those situations. So, fantastic. Well, let's move on to Esther, huh? One of my favorites. And uh, if you uh, want to follow along, open your, your scripture, just kind of go right in the Bible to uh, uh, Esther before the book of Job. And um, wonderful, wonderful story. You want to give us some uh, background on Esther? What a great story. Um, Yes, this Esther's is. a great story. I could, I mean, we could do a whole series on that book yeah. alone. I mean, I could spend all morning just talking about Esther. Absolutely. It's so rich. So if you haven't ever spent time in Esther, take the time to read it. Mm. It's, it's a great story. Um, but I'll set the scene again for us. We're at this point where uh, in the Jewish people, after they've moved into the land of Israel, and now they haven't been faithful to God. So they've had invading armies come. And at this point, Babylon comes in, completely destroys the temple, destroys Jerusalem, and takes the Jewish people into exile. And so Esther is set in that scene. The Jewish people have been removed from Jerusalem, and they're in the city of Susa. That's where they are. The king at this time, um, he has a couple different names, but King Xerxes is the king. And he currently has a queen Vashti on the throne with him. However, she ends up dishonoring him and he dethrones her. So he's in a situation where he's excited to find a new queen. So they go around and they gather up all the beautiful young virgins in the city. And Esther 
happens to be one of them. As Esther comes in, as we know God's hand is all over the story, she's chosen to be queen. And she is crowned queen um, over that, yeah, just with King Xerxes. And so God has her in this position. Uh, But there's sort of a subplot going on along the side of Queen Esther's story. And that is between Haman, who is King Xerxes' right-hand man, and Mordecai. And what's interesting is that Mordecai actually raised Esther as his daughter. They're really cousins, but obviously something had happened, I'm sure, in the exile. Uh, to the parents, he raised her as his own daughter. And so Mordecai and Haman uh, did not get along. There's contentious relationship there. Mordecai would not bow down um, to Haman because of his Jewish beliefs and not wanting to pay, you know, worship to somebody else. And so Haman decides he's going to do something about it. And he gets King Xerxes to agree and sign a decree um, issuing that all the Jews will be killed. And so that goes through the land. Uh, And then Mordecai gets word of this, of course, is very anguished and reaches out to Queen Esther. And so Queen Esther and him kind of have a little bit of this back and forth because she can't leave the palace. You know, he can't come in because he's, you know, in sackcloth. So there's a lot of little couriers, messengers going back and forth there communicating. And what comes out of this is he's asking her to do something about it. She's in this position you know, do something about this. And we're going to read in Esther chapter 4, and we're going to see a little bit of this dialogue that's going on between them. And I'm going to read verses 13 through 17. So Mordecai told them, meaning the couriers, to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. And what's interesting here is um, in this tradition, if you were not summoned before the king and you just showed up, he could just have you killed because he did not summon for your presence. And so if she went before the king, he would have to hold out his gold scepter in order for her to live. So just the fact that she's approaching the king was a risk, <laughs> let alone that he would entertain the situation and, and end up you know, being favorable to, to the Jews. So there's a lot in this uh, to look at, and so we're going to kind of dig into this a little bit. But... One of the things I love about Esther that just strikes me is she has a bold faith. Um, It it requires dependent courage. And I love that term. I love that picture, this idea of dependent courage. And courage, just to kind of define that word a bit, because we sometimes use words and we don't really understand, like, whoa, the deeper meaning behind it. But courage is the ability to take action or do something in spite of fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to do something in spite of fear. And I love this picture Esther gives us of dependent courage. Because her strength to move forward in action and her strength and ability to move forward to do something about it, that strength came from God. That's that dependent part. She's dependent on God for that, to step forward. And I think that's one of the... Um, it kind of ties back to being tethered to Christ, yeah. you know, taking a risk, but I'm doing it mm-hmm. because Christ's given me the strength to do this. Yeah. And I love the picture she gives us. And I think sometimes what we talk about with courage, especially, is, mm-hmm. is there's a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, we have timidity, which can kind of be like this paralyzing fear where we, we don't do anything. But then on the other end, we can have an overconfidence which really kind of comes out of a place of pride or arrogance, and we can maybe do something a bit reckless there. But right here in the middle, that's the sweet spot where God wants us, where we're dependent on him, 
we're still taking action in spite of the fear and uncertainty that we feel. And so I just I love the image that Esther gives us with that. So just, I think, going back to that, that visual, which I think is so important, flesh, right? Isn't it constantly, like, because we talk about courage, but sometimes it's just fleshly courage, right? I'm yeah. stepping out, like you say, recklessly, and we call that courage maybe. You know, maybe that's like, you know, take your sword and go crash the front line or something. I don't know. But the other end is, is this flesh of timidity, right? Which we know Paul kind of hammered Timothy on that, that aspect. But we want it to, it's a whole different, it's a game changer when we talk about courage where it's tethered or, or dependent, right? In that whole thing. And we pretty much see that, don't we? Consistently with all these characters. There's that, they, they yes. each of these situations we're going to see, like that they landed that sweet spot, right? They moved, they were either attended one way or the other, but they, they stepped forward right in that dependence along the way. So I was going to make a funny, funny comment, but I won't. Oh, go please do. <laughs> no, I was just going to say women, women get that dependent courage, you know, and, um, you know, I joke about how in the Bible with the men, it's, you know, you, you see that too with Gideon or, mm-hmm. you know, the men exhibit this too in different ways, mm-hmm. you know, they do. Oh, absolutely. Right. I yeah. mean, we're, you know, we have Peter reckless over here, jump, you know, whatever, or, you But know, you see um, him come back. So, you know what I mean? Right. Like they might step out, but you see that balance of, of right. Peter even coming back and getting the fact that his strength is yeah. relying on God. Yeah, the patience know? of our Lord, right, yeah. to move us that. No, that's and, good. And as Peter grew closer to the Lord, too, and had his faith strengthened, he would do it even not even knowing it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Awesome. What else we got for, for Esther? What are the nuggets? Well, I think we talked about this at the first service, but um, bold faith also requires spiritual preparation. Mm. And we see this with Esther. I mean, she, she took time to fast. She yeah. called on, you know, the body to fast with her, the mm-hmm. Jewish believers. And, you know, oftentimes we don't always think about, oh, wait a second, I'm about to take a step of faith here, or I'm about to take a risk that God's asking me to, have I spiritually prepared for this? Have I taken the time to prepare before the Lord Absolutely. and make sure that I understand what it is that he's really asking of me? Mm-hmm. And so I think just the fact that she takes that time and, and, you know, this goes hand in hand. When you think of spiritual preparation, she chose fasting and that's a, that's a spiritual discipline. And I mean, that is, it can be, it can be really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you are really sacrificing a lot when you fast, mm-hmm. um, you, you really are. And I think something that we don't realize that happens and the fruit that comes out of spiritual disciplines is that we are strengthening our spirit. That's what we're doing. We are strengthening our spirit in our relationship with Christ. And at the same time, what comes to the surface and what we become more aware of is our flesh. You know, what's pulling me away from God? Anything that pulls you away from God is your flesh. And before you go into taking a bold step of faith, it's so healthy for us to be aware. How might my flesh rise up in this situation? How might I actually be stepping out in my flesh rather than stepping out in the spirit? And there takes time. It takes time to acknowledge that and become aware of that. And, and, Mm. We see Esther taking mm. the time to do that. And that's what we don't want to do, right? Yeah. We're not creatures of, of uh, we're, you know, we instant, you know, and that's where the disciplines all, you know, not just fasting, but obviously mm-hmm. all the other, yeah. maybe you mentioned the importance of training, spiritual mm-hmm. training, the first service that, uh, boy, we, uh, I know that's where I struggle is just that, okay, let's, let, me, let me hear your words on this because we get so locked and loaded on what we think maybe we need to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, that's that time to hear the Lord that is, we see over and over again modeled for us in bold people of faith, you know, to get us to that middle healthy place rather than <laughs> jumping out of the boat or, or not moving at all. So that's excellent. And there's this little insight that um, sometimes you don't think about in the story of Esther, but sort of came to me. Because Esther took the time to spiritually prepare, God was also preparing on the other side. Because what was going on is that she didn't just rush in and have that conversation. She was taking the time to fast and pray. But one of those evenings is when King Xerxes couldn't sleep, and he got up and he asked for the book of Chronicles, and he read it. And he read the story about how Mordecai had actually um, revealed a plot to kill him. And he was like, whoa, have I, have I ever honored Mordecai for this? Have I ever gone back and right, rewarded him for this? Right. And so I think 
don't miss the fact that taking the time of spiritual preparation and mm. heeding that, mm. that means God's doing the work on the other side too. Mm. And we, we should be patient. Makes be the, patient uh, to take that time. Zachariah makes, you know, not by power, not by might, yeah. but by my spirit, says mm. the Lord, makes that much more alive in that. And that's excellent, excellent point. It gives God time to prepare the way right for us. So. What about community? I know we talked about just, but I think there's a real powerful yes. picture here that not to, go, not to go it alone, right? We're not made to go it alone. So, Yeah, al- along all this line is just recognizing Esther called upon the people to fast, the community. She was not taking this risk in isolation or alone. She was asking the community of believers to come around her. And I think that's such a good model for us There's going to be times that God asks us to take risk, and it's really healthy when we have a community of believers around us to talk to about it, to pray with, to, um, you know, just almost just wrestle a bit. Like, is this God? Is this me? You know, what does he really want me to do? And that's where accountability comes in because they're going to be able, a healthy community around you is going to be able to ask you questions, to know your motivations and your intentions about why you might be doing this. And it can prevent us from kind of going down and being reckless, or it can prevent us yeah. in feeling, um, you know, just supported in the decision we're making. When we take a risk, and we know that God's have it, and we know that we have the community behind it, mm-hmm. we're not as worried about the results on the other side. Mm-hmm. We can really just leave that up to God. Yeah, because excellent. we know we've processed it the way the Lord's asked us to. Yeah, oh, that's excellent. So, I just think right now the two things you've said so that you know you're not doing it all by yourself is you're tethered yes. and you have others around you. Excellent. And if we could just realize that it's not on our own, mm-hmm. but, um, but to get, you know, like yeah. just what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. Well, we could, we could, as you said, spend a whole series, and we need to, in the book of Esther. So, um, but let's move on to this last uh, um, this last woman of faith, uh, and I think this one for me, honestly, Mary of Bethany is is probably I think I, so. There's the first service is probably the most challenging for me, um, just because I, I think this is you know as we talked about is a different level of of risk that was shown here, and this is where, uh, boy, the affections for God, um, the real core of of our affection, our heart is revealed. Um, with bold faith, you know, it really reveals that. So talk to us about Mary of, of Bethany, this really interesting character that kind of pops up a few different places, you know, in the scripture. Um, yeah, you know, I love Mary of Bethany. She actually does show up a lot in the Gospels. And if you ever have time to just read through and do a character yeah. study on her, she really is such a model and example mm-hmm. for, um, for many of us on different yeah. levels. Yeah. But I'll just to kind of summarize a little bit, you know, we have seen her a couple times pop up, but, you know, most of us know her with her and Martha and her sitting at Jesus' feet. So I'm going to read that, and that's actually in Matthew 26. Oh, wait, sorry. That's Luke. Luke, right. <laughs> Luke 10. I'm going to read that section first. So in Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, we, we get a picture of Mary here. Says now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to alone to do all the serving? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Amen. So we see this one little picture of Mary, a little snapshot, and then we're going to flip over to Matthew 26, and here we're going to see another picture of Mary as well. And what's interesting about this one is in Matthew, it doesn't say the woman's name, but in John uh, chapter 12, it's the same account, and it tells us that it's Mary of Bethany in that as well. So I'm going to read this account to you guys in Matthew 26, and it's in verse 6 through 13. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this. 
and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with me, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And so we see this picture of Mary. It's a very different picture. It's a different kind of risk she's taking. Abigail and Esther, you know, they were risking their lives for, in order to save others. But Mary's taking a different risk. Her risk is to be able to worship God and show affection and be in his presence. She has one goal, that's to please him. That's the risk she's taking. That's actually the risk she's taking, pleasing God. And so I think what's interesting is, is just to sort of set the scene for you, for to, first of all, is that bold faith is often counter-cultural. Yeah. Often. And what amazes me is that, you know, the context when we read this, we don't always grasp the significance mm-hmm. of what Mary did here. She was supposed to be in the kitchen mm-hmm. helping Martha you know, that was what the expectation was in that culture. And what's interesting is um, Mady pointed this out, which I loved. And she said, Mary broke the taboo, not only for the men, but also for the women. Yeah. For Martha to see that another woman went and sat at the feet of Jesus, that would have been a cultural barrier breaker for women and also for the men to observe it and see that happening. And so we see that, I mean, bold faith, it's going to be countercultural. Absolutely. It is. And we see that again when Mary goes in to um, anoint Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're at the table. Yeah. It's a room full of men. Yeah. In Orthodox Jewish tradition, the men are separate <laughs> and eating separate from the women. For her to walk in and do that would have broken through all kinds of cultural barriers. And often bold faith does that. Um, Which actually leads me to my second point about bold faith that I love about Mary. It's so powerful. And that is bold faith can be expressed without a word. Mary didn't say a thing in either one of these situations. Bold faith, it can be expressed without a word. Just an action that God is prompting and asking you to do. And what amazes me about Mary is that as she steps out and takes this risk and goes in, is prompted to affectionately worship God, worship at Jesus' feet, not only does she do it without a word, but her actions become convicting to those around her. Because we see a little bit of that with Mary. And, I mean, with Martha, mm-hmm. I think, Absolutely. when she's like, well, aren't you, right. you know, aren't you worried that she's, you know, not helping me in the kitchen? But really, that was stirring up mm-hmm. something inside of Martha. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. And then we see the disciples when she poured out this extravagant gift of oil and was anointing Jesus, it stirred up mm-hmm. grumbling in the disciples. It's amazing how actions of they faith... They focused on the money. Yeah, right. They did. I, I mean, the value of the exactly. perfume, you know, so... It's interesting mm-hmm. how it can stir up and convict those who mm-hmm. are observing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very powerful what bold faith can do. Yeah, and, that's awesome. Maybe um, anything to... On well, I want you to on? say what you said at the first service about um, mm-hmm. Mary's dowry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, this just really... And I think for men especially, because we can you really relate to the other disciples. We're on the practical. We're looking at this. And, and I think you talk about... I just want to go back and say something about your first point, countercultural. I think this issue... Talking about breaking counterculture, I think this is what needs to happen in the church culture. Mm-hmm. When somebody boldly has affection for Jesus, it changes. And this needs to happen in most of our churches. It changes the worship culture. It changes the affection culture right, among uh, God's people, right? It rocks us out of, well, I'm just in church. I'm whatever, you know, that we're there for, you know. It, it, it's, it like points us, right, to, wow, okay, I, I need to, do I have that kind of affection, that kind of abandonment of, I'm not worried about what people, 
right? Or I think about about me. I, I want to focus right on the Lord and um, just affection of our hearts. And someone, I, I don't know who, where I, I read it, but it's always stuck with me. Not only did she break the cultural barriers there of she just jumped right in. She just, you know, it didn't matter that all the disciples were, were there. She, she just, you know, had to go and, and sit and be with Jesus, right? Um, but I think... Uh, this idea of this jar, most likely this jar, obviously we know it was extremely valuable. Um, why did she have it? Most people think that was her dowry. And uh, I, I think there's something deeper going on here, even a deeper aspect of her affection, right, in her sacrifice, her bold faith, a massive faith step to basically say, when she cracked that upon him, um, the dowry, that, uh, culturally speaking, is that could have been her... Um, that would have maybe eliminated her ability to be married. Mm-hmm. Now, we know she was young, so what we're saying, what we're possibly saying here is she's cracking this on Jesus, and she's saying, you're my husband, you're my hope, and I'm throwing everything in you, and everything I had saved up, all my hope for a husband to take care of for me, uh, I'm laying this right before you. Um, that, that's, that takes this costly thing, a whole nother level, right, of not just money, but my future, is in your hands, Jesus. You know um, what I'm thinking about that, though, is um, she might have taken that risk, but I think her, her faith in God was if that if she would have wanted a husband, mm-hmm. you know, God's not mm-hmm. going to deny her of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, her, her faith was so strong. Absolutely. And, and um, I'm also thinking about that, that with all these three stories is... It just didn't matter. I mean, they trusted God so much in every one of these different instances. It didn't, yeah. it didn't matter to them. Right. They were just going right. to take that risk no matter what. Yeah. And awesome. I love that they're in the Bible for us to learn from. <laughs> That's it, right? And to model, learn yeah. to, to, to model. Um, you know, maybe, Ellen, just as we kind of move towards closing here, just, uh, I think we talked in the first service just about this audience of one thing, you know, and just summarize this idea of both faith, how desperately we need it. God desires, we see all in the scripture, the cry of, Lord, increase our faith, Lord. Um, push us on, right, to this. It's something that's dynamic, as you said, in this spectrum. It's not something to say static in what we believe. It's, it's a move forward. We're to grow in this, this, uh, uh, this bold faith. So, um, Yeah, maybe just any closing remarks on that. Yeah, I think something that Mary really highlights is we talked about that risk that she was taking, you know, and it was all about pleasing God. Mm -hmm. You know, she had an audience of one, and she was about pleasing the Lord. And, you know, it's very interesting for me to take this little nugget and dig into it. And we talked about this at the first service, too. Mm -hmm. But she did that in such a way that she still honored those around her. And I, and I think that that's such a model for us that I don't want us to gloss over. And by that, what I mean is, you know, sometimes we have the temptation to say, like, I'm just pleasing God. I'm not about pleasing other people. I'm just pleasing the Lord. But then we step out and we might say or do something that actually breaks down the integrity of our witness to those who are watching us. And I think Mary does this exceptionally well. She broke through cultural barriers. She stepped out in faith. She took a risk. But she did it with the idea of pleasing God, but in such a way that she kept her witness Mm. intact to those disciples, to those other believers, and maybe even non-believers on the fringe observing this. And I think that is so wise for us to take away as we start to step out more and take more risks for the Lord. And um, especially... You know, we talked a bit a bit the, about this a little earlier, but, you know, how do you know? How do I know if I'm about to step out and do something? I think that could be reckless, or is it in faith, or is it going to please God, or how is it going to impact others? I think the question there that we kind of came back to is, what's the motivation? What's the intention behind it? Am I stepping out in faith to exalt myself, to maybe preserve myself, to make others still continue to be pleased with me? Or am I actually stepping out in faith because mm-hmm. I'm expanding the ping- kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Am I actually doing it to expand the kingdom of God? That's what the risk is about. Am what I'm about to do, is that going to glorify God and expand his kingdom? Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely.
And just that, that being a man pleaser or a God pleaser, right? And, and we can even manipulate that piece of it right, in our flesh, right? So especially in this day and age, right, where we so, I think God is moving in his church, right? He's, he's really revealing, right? And all of us just, Lord, um, are our actions, are our desires to ultimately please, right, the Lord, right, or, or myself. So, well, that's excellent. Anything else to, to and wrap up? On uh, any of these three, bold faith or anything? In wrap-up, Ellen does have a nighttime study, and she's an excellent teacher. I've been in her Bible study for years now, and she's excellent um, right now doing it on Tuesday nights, but not sure which night it's going to be. But I would highly recommend coming to her class. Marion's Mm -hmm. in it. So, um, Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think I just want to leave you guys with some encouragement, and that is, you know, during this time, um, there's a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. right now for Absolutely. us to step out and take a risk, it, mm-hmm. and take a risk for the kingdom of God, yeah. to step out and say a word fitly spoken. There are ample opportunities for us to do this, and I think we talked a little bit about this, too, at the first service, but, you know, what keeps us, what holds us back from actually taking that risk? like maybe sharing our faith or explaining what salvation is to somebody, you know, giving them the gospel that they need to hear. Oftentimes, the only thing that's holding us back is ourself. It's our actual flesh part that doesn't want to put us out there. We don't want to be rejected. You know, we still want that person to like us after we have this conversation. And, you know, and it's amazing when you realize that that's the only barrier to actually taking that risk um, just push through. Yeah. Just push through. It's going to feel awkward. Yeah. It's not going to come out right. Yeah. You're going to feel super vulnerable and insecure, but you're tethered so, to Christ. Yeah. You're tethered to Christ. That's great. So. Did you want to, uh, first service, you had a great encouragement for the ladies oh, at yeah. Crossroads. So, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I also just want to commend the women of Crossroads. It was really fun to take the time when Steve and I started talking about this. And then I called Mady, and I was like, Mady, you know, like, I want to figure out how many women are actually in some type of uh, Bible study, small group, community group, all of it. And what was amazing, uh, I had a lot of overlap, so I had to cross out some names more than once. Um, But basically what it comes down to is that we have 70 women in Crossroads Church who are and continue to be. And this is actually um, since COVID has started, too. We have you know, 70 women who are plugged in to a group studying in the word. And I just, we don't take time enough to say, I commend you. I commend you for your faithfulness to be in the word and your fellowship, to be in community and be growing in your relationship with Christ. And in those groups, we are also impacting six other area churches, meaning we have members from six other churches who feed in and come and are part of these groups. So we're not only blessing our church, we're blessing the greater Christian community and really beyond. Um, so I just, I want to say well done. Yeah. I'm excited what God's going to do through yeah. you. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. And thank you for your teaching gift, Ellen, and leading the way with that. Mady, thank you for your, your gift of hospitality and greeting, making everybody feel part of this, uh, this family. Um, and thank you guys for being willing to, it was, it was an act of God getting Mady up here this morning. It's a miracles do happen. <laughs> so, uh, but thank you. That was really great stuff. I hope that encourages everybody. Um, bold faith. And uh, I just want to pray for us. Um, before we go, though, uh, let me just say a couple things, just announcement-wise. But um, again, next week we'll be on. Please watch your email. We'll send you something out with the details for that. We're just going to dive in as, and see how things go on Sundays. But, um, but we'll look forward to gathering uh, again together. Um, thank you for those of you who support and who, um, who worship through giving and your tithes here at, at uh, our church family at Crossroads. Three different ways, obviously in person. <laughs> it's going to be a while before we can pass the bucket, at least uh, they tell us. So uh, the little black boxes in the back if you want to give there through text. And then obviously thank you, thank you, thank you for all the, those of you who have made the shift because I know it takes time to get onto the online giving thing. So thank you for that uh, as well. But um, thank you for tuning in. Um, I, I'm sure you, I have online fatigue. 
fatigue and Zoom fatigue and everything. It's time to, to gather. So I just really encourage, we as a, the leaders here, we just would want to encourage you to gather in your, get your community groups going. We're uh, launching a microchurch. We've got discipleship. Let's gather together uh, outside of this as well. If you're out there and you are feeling disconnected, will you please call us this week? Um, just call. Maybe you will be on the phone and just tell her what you're, you'd love to be in a community group. You'd love to be in a discipleship group. Just, uh, just uh, put yourself out there. We're going to do the best we can to. We're working with our existing groups to get them going. We want to get uh, people connected. Um, and uh, we, because we need to have that dialed in in case, well, who knows what happens right in, in the future. We need to be strong, small groups, our gatherings microchurch and we need to be strong we all gather together uh, all together we see that flow that rhythm in the book of acts itself so um, please give us a call let us know how we can walk alongside you with that let me just pray father thank you for this morning your many rich blessings lord thank you for ellen thank you for Mady. lord for all the wonderful uh, women of faith in this body lord using their gifts lord we just rejoice lord let us all be encouraged this morning to be people of faith we love you lord encourage us with your spirit god let us be a light, Lord, uh, to be that shining light for you, Lord, in, in this community and in this nation, Lord, and beyond for the, your glory, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.